0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Do you remember much of what happened, you know, in January of this year?
2: I remember... Uh the last thing I was doing was driving and stopping by a rest stop going to the restroom and the next thing I knew I was in the hospital
1: While on vacation in Oregon Ann Lagamayo was in a car accident a terrible one on an icy mountain pass her car drifted into oncoming traffic. The force of the impact rattled her brain against her skull and put her in a coma. Doctors warned her friends and family that Anne might never become conscious again. Or if she did, she might be permanently changed.
3: I, like, completely froze. I just kept hearing the damage is quite severe. It was a very strange moment. You could potentially... Die, or you might never be the same person. How soon would she wake up? Is she gonna be fine when she wakes up? Is she gonna remember us? I was just thinking, oh God, please let her wake up.
1: I was nervous too. I remember the phone call when I first found out about the accident. I remember learning that her parents were flying into the United States from the Philippines. And I remember calling the surgeon who was taking care of Anne to find out what I could. You see, I know Anne. She's been one of my podcast producers at CNN since the beginning. A part of the team that makes this show. For days, we waited anxiously, hoping for some sort of update from the hospital. And thankfully, the news eventually came, Anne was awake.
2: It was like blinking lights, like you kind of fade into consciousness and you remember a flash of something. And I remember um, a flash of me sitting on the hospital bed and someone was giving me an ice pop for my swallow test to see if I could swallow.
1: She wiggled her fingers, she made noises, and slowly she started to grapple with the way her brain had changed. This is the story of that journey. It's about Anne's struggle to recover from a life-changing injury. But it's also about all of us. How we can tap into strength and perspective in the face of any major obstacle. And maybe even find a silver lining along the way. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. And this is Chasing Life. Hey there, Anne. I wanted to wish you a speedy recovery. We're all thinking of you. I'm so sorry, all that you've been going through. But it sounds like you're improving, and that makes us so happy. That's a recording I made at the start of this year, shortly after Anne woke up. I was trying to put on a cheery voice, but I got to tell you honestly, I was worried. Anne's injuries were pretty serious. Her family and her surgeon in Oregon... Let me look at the MRI scans of her brain. I saw what we in medicine call shearing. Some of the connecting nerve fibers that make up the brain had stretched and torn because of the force of the accident. As a neurosurgeon myself at a busy level one trauma center, I've taken care of a lot of patients with that kind of shearing. And the truth is, few of them make a full recovery. Many have challenges still managing their mood and their impulses. The CDC reports that 33% or so of patients with moderate to severe traumatic brain injuries rely on others for help with everyday activities. And that's even five years after the injury. But Anne improved rapidly when she woke up. She quickly became more alert. She responded to commands. And she started working with a speech therapist.
4: Yeah. Since the, do you remember the date of your accident? January twenty
3: second, twenty second. Yeah, twenty first. I think is technically the day it happened. First. Is that right?
4: January twenty
3: Mm-hmm. So yesterday we figured out it'd been about a week, two and a
4: half weeks, and now it's you know two and a half weeks. weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm still trying to figure out what happened.
3: I know that has got to be so frustrating. Yeah.
4: That's a
1: recording Anne made on her phone in the hospital. In fact, she faithfully documented the whole experience like a true podcast producer. One interesting quirk of her brain after the injury was that she couldn't remember how to do simple things like make a phone call. But she could still remember how to pull up the voice memo app and hit record. Okay.
4: How, how long will I will it be
3: here? Yeah, for you to get okay. completely better. hmm Um, It's really hard for me to know. I I wish I could give you a definitive answer, but it's impossible. And everybody's brain is different. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
4: Okay.
1: In those earliest months after the accident, Emily Lepore worked with Anne every week to help with her speech and her memory. We recently caught up with Emily.
3: Anne was really unique in her ability to sort of be introspective, even with a brain injury. And she was sort of fascinated with her own (laughs) state and her recovery. So she would constantly be going, oh, my gosh, wow, I can't believe I just did that. Or I can't believe I couldn't remember that. Or she was just sort of coming around to recognize that she had a brain injury
1: That is actually a common challenge for patients with a traumatic brain injury, or TBI, as it's called. Many simply do not realize that they are injured initially. Unlike a broken bone, brain injuries are invisible, sometimes even to the patients themselves. I asked Anne how she felt in that moment.
2: I, at first, thought I was completely fine. I was like, oh, I could go back to work tomorrow. (laughs) I could (laughs) produce an episode.
1: (laughs) What made you realize that you still had work to do, that you still had recovery to make?
2: Um, I had a conversation with my speech therapist, and it was after a particularly dire exercise where she made me read an article uh, about heart rate and she would quiz me like literally one sentence after I read it like she would cover the paper and she would be like well what did you just read Mm. and I just completely forgot everything I didn't remember a single fact and that was when I got really concerned like that was when i thought like oh there is something deeply wrong with with me and she told me well given what you do for work you might never come back you have to entertain the possibility that like you could never get back to your previous abilities Like, this is a possible outcome for you. And that really, really, really made me sad and made me realize that, like, oh, this could change everything.
1: Anne was having a lot of difficulty, and not just with reading retention. In speech therapy, she would easily lose focus, on worksheets that might normally be assigned to an elementary school student and struggled.
3: Well, hold on. Let's finish out. That's all right. The slacks one. Uh huh. So there's more information in this clue than we've used. Because see, belts is the first time we're learning about belts.
4: So your belts are here?
3: Yes. Nice job. See how it kind of gives you the information, but you have to (laughs) find it.
1: To walk, Anne needed physical support. To see, she needed to cover one eye to prevent double vision. But perhaps the most confusing changes for her were the subtle ones.
4: Every time I look at a clock, the minute hand is smooth, very slowly. (laughs) I wonder if that's um, a brain thing, like how I perceive time has changed. been snowing for the past three days um, and it's so pretty but I'm so freaked out about it I told my parents to stay home because I didn't want them driving out in this weather my brother says I have trauma from it I don't think, well, I don't know if I do. I know that I don't want my parents to go through what I'm going through. But I still think it's really pretty from inside.
1: Anne had come to terms with the reality that she was injured. But with that acceptance also came new fears. What if her cognitive challenges were permanent? What if she couldn't walk on her own again? Worst of all to Anne, what if that speech therapist was right and she could never return to work?
2: Oh, at that point, I was definitely very sad and really bummed. But uh, my friend Stephanie, who's also a neurosurgeon, she... Gave me a talking to and she was like, look, you just never know. There is a possibility, sure, but it could also be positive. Like the chances are 50-50 at this point. But for you to fixate on this negative part won't do you any favors either. Like, all you have to do is, like, keep practicing because she explained, like, the way the brain's plasticity works. You just have to keep repeating an action. And that's the best way for you to gain any ability.
1: Anne's friend was right. You see, the brain is a remarkable organ with the capacity to adapt, and yes, even heal itself. It was just a few decades ago that it was believed the human brain simply stopped growing and regenerating once we became adults. You got what you got, and that was it. Over life, you'd slowly drain the cache of neurons. But now we know that through effortful learning and repetitive action, not only can we rewire our brains by forging new synaptic connections, that's plasticity, we might even be able to generate new brain cells, neurogenesis. And that's what Anne set out to do.
4: Today was hard. Um, Hard. We did the names. I remembered everyone's names, I think.
1: In physical therapy, Anne practiced muscle coordination that is, matching the movement of her steps to the sound of a metronome. In her free time, she practiced reading. She subscribed to a weekly magazine and made her way through the articles. And when she eventually left the hospital and moved on to outpatient care, she took on daily tasks. Morning after morning, for example, she practiced making a pot of coffee. She practiced and practiced and practiced. And so slowly, it was almost imperceptible the parts of herself that she'd worried she'd lost started to return.
2: I was like, oh, this is, I I can make jokes. I remember that I like to make jokes. And then, like, as I, like, kept progressing, I was like, oh, yeah, this is my personality. <laughs> this is, like, this is what I like to do this is what um, I like to I like to eat
1: her memory got better her balance got steadier her vision became clearer about six months after the accident Anne decided she was ready for the next challenge she told her doctors and family it was time for her to go back to her own apartment in New York it was time to find out if she could live on her own you
4: know Getting here is a huge deal. To test it out in the real world is the actual test. And it's kind of freaky. Yeah, here I go.
1: After the break, I talked to Anne about how she's doing today nearly 10 months after the injury and what we can all learn from her experience to help us overcome obstacles in our own lives. And now back to Chasing Life. I recently called Anne over video chat and spoke to her for the first time since the accident. Hi. Hello. How's it going?
2: Good. All things considered.
1: <laughs> it's really good to see you.:
2: It's good to see you too. It's so weird being on this end of, of things.)
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which do you prefer? The
2: muted silence.:
1: Zoom Anne looked so well. She was smiling and vibrant and seemed relaxed, even happy. I wanted to understand how she had gotten to that place how she could seem so at peace with her accident and everything that had happened since. In July, she had written an article for CNN about her experience, and I was really struck by one specific sentence. She wrote that the whole ordeal felt inevitable, just the way life goes sometimes. What's that even mean?
2: I think, like, me thinking that it was inevitable and me feeling that it was inevitable. In hindsight... I think that was the first step into being more flexible. Like, if you accept something, if you think that this was the only possible outcome, then you live with it. You learn to work with it. Hmm. I did and do still feel that way, that, like, there couldn't have been any other outcome.
1: When you're sitting in the hospital... You got these concerns. Maybe I won't have good vision. Maybe I won't have the memory necessary to do the job that I love. What's your motivation then?
2: Hmm. I think a lot of it came from going back to work. I sound really lame, but but my thing is just like... <laughs> I want to be able to do what I love doing, what I know how to do. Like, I want to be able to write a script. I want to be able to produce something. I want to be able to go back to that. I don't know if you've ever encountered this, but, like, I think the reason why I couldn't really go that far into the spiral of doom (laughs) is because I couldn't really process the entirety of my situation. Like, what would it mean, like, if I lost my job? I grew up in the Philippines, and if I lost my job, it would mean I would have to go back to the Philippines. So, you know, the,
3: mm.
2: all of those stakes were particularly high, and I wasn't able to really think about all of that until until now. <laughs>
1: So you, you were able to make it more digestible things that you were overcoming as opposed to sort of having to to dwell on the enormity or the entirety of it, which is probably a really healthy thing. Because, you know, when you start to dwell on the enormity of things, it probably does take your mind into the worst possible scenarios. Do, do you feel like you have components of post-traumatic stress?
2: I don't think so. I actually feel like i'm recovering weirdly well like i
1: Why do you say weirdly?
2: Because i feel like i should be more affected by it. I should i should just be yeah. more bothered by the whole thing. I think this has something to do with a brain injury. Uh-huh. But it feels to me like it happened to another person.
1: Very interesting.
2: My brain injury changed me, literally. Like, I actually felt like I didn't quite have the same personality. Like, Mm. And that's why I feel like I don't hold on to any of that trauma, that fear. It feels like it was all in the
1: past. This is really... It's really interesting, you know. I mean, I was
2: just I was actually going to ask you like hmm. so is, is it normal to recover like this? Like on the the grand scale of recoveries like from the worst to the best, like where do I fall in the the gamut of things?
1: On the best side of things. If there's a spectrum as you talk about, then you're clearly I've had a really remarkable recovery, and I will tell you, the fact that you started to have recovery so quickly in the hospital, even, was a really good sign. What we know from brain injuries is that the biggest predictor of the best long-term recovery is a early recovery. So there's some people who sort of plateau for days, and if not weeks, and then they start to have some recovery, which is always good, but the likelihood of them having a full recovery or an optimal recovery is lower. How big a role was your family for you in your recovery?
2: Oh, they played a huge role. My parents came here from the Philippines and they took care of me for months. And it got to a point where my occupational therapist was like, you need to do things around the house for herself (laughs) because like, otherwise you would never know how like impaired you are or like how, because she was like, do you do the laundry? And I was like, no, do you cook? No. My parents took care of everything. And she was like, well, you have to do something. (laughs) You have to at least make coffee.
1: Anne has made incredible progress, but it hasn't been perfect. These days, she moves slowly, she uses a walking stick, she tires more easily, she's going to bed around 9 o'clock, and she's often in pain, the kind that shoots down her lower back and thighs. But the things she works so hard to improve, her communication skills, her working memory, even her concentration, they are so strong, you'd never know she has a brain injury. Most impressive of all, she's on track to meet her goal she plans to return to work here at CNN early next year. Overall, she's feeling surprisingly positive about how things have turned out. I
2: have said secretly, but now I guess not so secretly, that it has been the best thing that happened to me. I think it made me reassess my own life, like made me rethink my priorities. And I think like... I just think about dying as more of a distinct possibility. And I think that's good because at least, like, if you think about the fact that you could very well die at any moment, then it just gives your life meaning. Like, it gives a context to it. I could never have grasp that had I not been in this accident.
1: It's hard to say what's really behind Anne's success. Everything from the nature of her injury to her age and even her health before the accident, they probably all played a role. And there's no doubt that having great health insurance, the financial resources to take a full year off of work, and tremendous emotional support from her friends and family, that all had an important impact as well. But there are other factors, the intangibles, that I've long wondered about. When you Google the word resilience, for example, you'll find lists of traits associated with being able to overcome major obstacles, like optimism, belief in a higher power, having close relationships. In my experience, these things often do help patients push through the recovery process. And I was curious if they had helped Anne.
5: these factors that people are so fond of barely move the needle when we try to understand who will be resilient. That's George
1: Bonanno, a professor of clinical psychology at Columbia University and the director of the Lost Trauma and Emotion Lab at Columbia's Teachers College. He just published this new book called The End of Trauma, How the New Science of Resilience is Changing How We Think About PTSD. For the last 30 years, He's been trying to understand what predicts resilience, looking at everything from personality to immune function. And what he's found is that resilience is not about any particular personality trait or resource. He says it's largely about being willing to
5: adapt. I call it the flexibility mindset. It's a um, conviction we might have that we're going to actually deal with this. We're going to focus on getting past this. That attitude helps kick in a series of steps to work out. What is it that will get me through this particular problem, one problem at a time?
1: In other words, Professor Bonanno is saying, we don't need to cultivate a dozen new traits to become a resilient person. We can all overcome obstacles just by working with what we already have.
5: The most striking thing about the work over the years is that resilience is very common. So we measure resilience as as anyone showing pretty much a stable trajectory of healthy functioning, that's what I call it, afterwards. And we see that as being in the majority in every study, and it's usually around two-thirds.
1: Anne wanted to speak to Professor Bonanno about her own experience. She wanted his opinion on the question that has been nagging her.
2: The fact that I don't remember the car crash itself, the fact that my brain was like, very limited in the first few weeks and even months after the recovery. Like, do you think that helped in some way in that, like, I didn't have the capability to process exactly what happened to me?
5: I think it's probably helpful because it's just one less thing for you to deal with you know, I think there is even some movement in the medical world to artificially keep people from remembering things that they're doing to them. Uh, During the pandemic, I had two surgeries, and I was told I was going to be given a certain drug before I went into the surgery. So I wouldn't remember what was being done to me. I think there's an awareness that it's, again, one less thing to deal with.
2: What resilience challenges would you expect someone in my shoes to face in about five or ten years?
5: Five or ten years, wow. Um, Five or ten years, you may have have very few challenges related to this event. There may be just other challenges that your life will naturally bring you. One characteristic I see of the way resilience works is when you get through something, you've gotten through it.
2: That's kind of comforting to hear, actually, (laughs) like in knowing that, like, there's nothing waiting in the wings.
5: Well, I think there are a lot of myths out there about trauma. I think one of them is that we're all carrying around hidden traumas. And I think that comes from the misunderstanding of events that are potentially traumatic and genuine traumas. Most people experience at least several of these highly aversive events in their lifetime. And often we don't even remember them, not because we repress them, not because they're stashed away in our body somewhere, but because we manage them at the time.
1: I want to leave you with something that was really striking to me. One of the most moving moments in my interview with Anne was when I read aloud from her medical records. There was a line from her doctor written only days after her accident while she was still unresponsive in the hospital. I wasn't sure whether I should read it to her or not, but I decided to go ahead. I just want to read this to you, but what the doctor said was I would recommend watchful waiting As there is potential for improvement, however, how much improvement is difficult to say. It may unfortunately be the case that her presentation is permanent and irreversible. I'm just curious, how does that make you feel?
2: Oh, really good. I actually like whip out that part of my chart a lot and just read it from time to time to remind myself I was this bad before. And then now I'm doing better. Like the, the reason why I could even read and understand this uh, sentence in my chart, you know, is that he was wrong.
1: The point isn't that doctors don't always get things right. And it isn't even that Anne recovered. The real point is that we will all one day find ourselves in circumstances we would not have chosen. And when we do, we must remind ourselves what is in our control is how we react to the hand we're dealt. We can all learn to adapt, to find acceptance for what we cannot change, and to push ourselves to live a fulfilling life no matter what challenges are thrown our way. If you're going through a difficult period right now, I hope you take inspiration from what Anne experienced and keep working toward that day when you too will look back on your life And feel the sweet satisfaction of knowing that once you were there, and now you're here. We'll be back next week. Thanks so much for listening. Chasing Life is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is executive producer. Zoe Saunders is the senior producer. Our podcast is produced by Rachel Cohn, Jordan Gaspare, Audrey Horwitz, Paige Sutherland, and Grace Walker. Our production assistant is Allison Park. Our intern is Eduardo Ocampo. Our medical writer, Andrea Kane. Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. And a special thanks to Ben Tinker and Amanda Seeley of CNN Health, as well as Ashley Lusk, Rafina Ahmad, Courtney Coop, and Daniel Cantor from CNN Audio. One last thing before we go. We're working on an upcoming episode about New Year's resolutions, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. What are your health-related goals for 2022? Please tell us by recording a voice memo and emailing to asksanjay at cnn.com, or you can give us a call at 470-396-0832 and leave a message. We might even include your story